Welcome everybody to another edition of Coffee and Open Source, a place to meet some new friends, have some great conversations, and maybe learn something along the way. I'm your host, Isaac Levin, and I'm very excited for my guest today. My guest today is James Q. Quick. James, do you want to say hello? Introduce yourself? Hey, hey. Yeah, what's going on? Um, I don't know what introductions to do anymore. I've done like some combination of uh, developer, speaker, and teacher professionally for about 10 years now. So I think that probably kind of sums up all of my activities in, in three relatively simple words. Um, but I'm also a staff developer advocate at PlanetScale. So I've done um, several years now, six or seven total years of developer experience or evangelism or whatever. Um, so it's a really cool balance for me of technical content, creating content, being technical, working with people, public speaking, uh, and everything that comes along with it. So it's been a fun fun mix of not not just writing code all day, but being able to tie in people and teaching to everything that I do as well. Yeah, I'd love to to drill into a few things you said. One thing that's really, really interesting to me as somebody who is aware of you, aware of your brand and, and where some of the great content that you create, like you create content for work and also for, I guess you can call it pleasure, but it's also work, right? Because there's content creation is a ton of, like how often do you have to kind of marry that line between content creation that's going to be beneficial for the company that you work for and content creation that you find is beneficial for for your own personal brand? Like, how do you kind of disseminate that? Yeah. Yeah, I get asked that question a lot. The first thing is that I, like, I'll never sacrifice my personal brand. My personal brand is the thing that's most important to me, honestly, because it's the thing that's going to carry with me outside of a job, it's going to carry from job to job. And to be quite honest, it's going to be a big factor in me getting jobs. Cause if I have an sure. audience, just like anyone else, it's going to be another thing that I can bring to the table, especially in developer advocacy and those types of roles. Um, so that's the first thing is that I don't, I don't sacrifice on ownership of the content that I create on my channel. Now that doesn't mean that there's not overlap with the content to your point. So one of the things that I did early on after joining planet scale was do a video on my channel that I thought would do well. It was build uh, build an API with TypeScript and Express, and um, and it uses PlanetScale's database. And there's no reason yeah. that you know working for a product that I believe in that I'm excited about. There's no reason that stuff can't make an appearance on my personal channel. And it's good for me because it's content I think will fit. And that's good for the company because my YouTube channel has a bigger audience than uh, the company YouTube channel. Uh, so there's definitely some sure. overlap there, but. Um, most of the stuff that I do specifically that includes planet scale in this case, uh, goes on the planet scale channel. So it'd be YouTube, Twitch, um, or the blog. And then, uh, yeah, occasionally you'll see some stuff on my personal. So first and foremost, I own all the stuff that I do in my spare time. I get to control all of that, but it is nice to find some overlap where I can spend some company time to produce content. That's going to get some visibility on my own channels. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I mean, and I imagine also like the company that you work for is extremely grateful that you're, you know, willing to, you know, talk about them in multiple different mediums, which I think is great. I maybe I'd like to take a little bit of a step back and talk about kind of your origin story into tech. I, I think that might be some interesting for some folks. Is like, you know, do you recall the particular moment in time where you came across programming or computers or anything? And you're just like, that's it. That's the thing that I need to do the rest of my life. Yeah, I got um, some. I actually gave a talk last night on basically career advice, navigating your career your way. And I got a similar question of like, when did you know this is what you wanted to do sure. type thing? And the answer is like, I wholeheartedly dif didn't know. Um, 
senior year of high school, I was going to take an AP computer science class because some of my other friends were, had no idea what it was, uh, but I was going to take it, except it overlapped with orchestra and I was a four year orchestra student. So I took my fourth year of orchestra, my senior year, instead of AP computer science. And then I applied to college, got accepted to the engineering school at Vanderbilt. And uh, they sent me a very daunting email of like, okay, you're, you're accepted. Now, what do you want to study? And I had no idea. Um, I didn't, like, I was kind of interested in physics, but I really didn't enjoy bio and chemistry. And I just didn't know what to do. And so computer science, having almost no context for what it actually was, uh, sounded the most interesting out of the options that I had. So I declared computer science. I had no idea what a career would look like. I had no idea that it was like a well-paying career, that it was a modern career with like awesome benefits and all like, I had no idea any of that stuff. Um, so I just did the traditional, like I was a major and I did the classes, but I think the thing that really clicked for me, I've talked about this a lot as well is, um, somewhere after sophomore year, I heard about someone building mobile apps and I was like, that's really cool. Like, I want to know how to do that. And so they gave me this book, like Android book. And I was going through the tutorials and it was like to do stuff and it was like boring. And I was like, I want to, I want to do something. Like I want to make something that I'm excited about. So I kind of dropped the book and then I just decided I would go and Google all the things I needed to along sure. the way to build a Harry Potter trivia app. That's the thing that I wanted to build because I love Harry Potter. I've read the books many, many times and thought that would be fun to do. So I think that was, that was probably the earliest moment of realizing that like, not only am I here because I randomly declared computer science, but this is something that is really empowering. I can build stuff with it and I actually really enjoy it. And just to see something in that case, an app actually shipped to the store was like, really, I mean, you could build anything. And I think the kind of the follow-up to that two things, one at Microsoft, I was around super talented people at Microsoft and the communities that I worked in. And I got super inspired by that. And then I took the web developer bootcamp course on Udemy by Colt Steele. You can get it for $10 when it goes on sale. And it's like an all encompassing. If you want to be a web developer, that's the thing that I say, like, go do it. And if you learn everything that's there, you can be your hireable, like on the spot. Um, so I did that. And that was just another reinforcement, specifically in the web development space, which I'd never done before of like, you can build stuff and you can ship it and other people can see it and use it. And that's the most empowering uh, feeling I think that I've had in being a developer. Uh, so that's the, that's the kind of thing that I think has stuck with me. Uh, just for the ability to create my own stuff now, create content. And then also thinking about like, I could build a SaaS product at some time in the future when I have more time and really make my own path and whatever, uh, whatever I want that to be. That's, that's great stuff. I have a lot of questions based on that little, uh, st those statements you just made. Um, quick things for housekeeping, you know, so folks are asking like the book that you mentioned in the chat, if you want to go ahead and call that out, I'll put that in the chat as well. Um, uh, and then people are curious, you know, what you you know, what instruments you play in the orchestra? I'm genuinely curious because I know that there's an interesting get, um, kind of bridge between musicians and, and developers, at least in, in my experience, which I think is um, interesting. Um, I think the I, I, it wasn't probably a book. There was a course on Udemy that I think that somebody was talking about. And there was the Android book as well. Um, yeah. But in I would love to hear, first off, what was your instrument in the orchestra? I think that's the first thing that I'd love to ask. And then the second thing is like, where do you see some of the parallels between music and programming or developer, being a developer? Yeah, that's the question that I've never talked about before. Um, so, or never thought about before. Uh, so really quickly, the Android book, I don't know. It was in 2011, like Android, learn how to build Android apps. I don't know what it was Also called. probably very outdated. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't recommend it for, for these times. And then the course was the web developer bootcamp by cold steel. So that was the web development course that I took. 
and I played I uh, played the orchestra and wow played the violin in the orchestra and I started one of my best friends in elementary school his older brother had played the violin so he was going to play the violin when we had the chance like fourth or fifth grade and so I did that with him and my friend Chris and I played in the orchestra played violin together up until our senior like through our senior year of high school um so yeah that's what I did in the orchestra and I think for for me probably it's like the mathematical aspect of music, which like probably seems uh, to not make much sense at face value. But like, I always looked at notes and rhythms and reading sheet music and stuff as kind of a mathematical equation. And I could translate sure. that to, to, I don't know, mathematical, mathematical things in my head. And I think, um, you know, computer science is uh, similar in that way because you're, you're learning how to break down a problem. And for me, translating that into very specific things that I can follow and they become more mathematical for me. So the flip side of that is like, I wouldn't be a very good like improv uh, or like make it up on the spot violin player. Cause I didn't have like that, like creative brain. And I think that's some of the stuff that I don't have as much with programming too, right? Like if I know the problem, I can go and solve that problem. But somehow sometimes like, the design aspect, right, is is one of the tougher yeah. things for me in building a web application, which I think it is for a lot of developers. Um, so yeah I'm, yeah, I'm definitely more of a mathematical brain. And there's, uh, yeah, I think some cool parallels between music in that sense and uh, computer science or programming. I, I love having this conversation. I, I'm a fledgling, fledgling musician myself. And I think a couple of things that you hit on the head are like really interesting to me. Like you mentioned like the mathematical, I guess, equation to music, right? Especially musical theory, right? We start talking about intervals and triads and diminish and augmentation. Like all these things, they they immediately turn into, okay, like if I know the key is this, I know that this is the notes I need to play. Mm -hmm. Like, and yes, you can deviate from those, those mechanisms a little bit, but unless you know what you're doing, they don't sound good. Mm -hmm. at all and the same thing i think with programming is that everything has these little structures that you put into it i think a lot of developers they we all build the same sort of app i've been saying this mm -hmm. for a while like some data source i need a ui on top of this data source and we can party <laughs> um, and i think the the next level which i think is what you're talking about the thing that you might not have as much of and i kind of agree i don't have the same thing either is like that artistic or creative ability inside of programming Right, I think writing algorithms is very artistic and creative, but from a visual medium perspective, yeah, like I'm not a graphic designer, I never will be, not because um, I haven't tried, but it's also very, very important to call out there are people that are way more skilled in that area. And so it's interesting to hear you say like, there's this happy, like I think in a lot of skills in general, they balance this mathematical versus creative or analytical versus creative kind of balance, right? And depending on which way your brain works, you kind of deviate towards one particular or the other. Yeah. And I, part of that also is I try to change the way that I talk about myself in the other regards, because I think it's easy to be like really self-deprecating about it and think it's like one way or the, or the other. And, it, yeah. and it's like, it's not the case. Like, I think I'm definitely more, more inclined to the practical and mathematical side. Um, but some of that is just me not appreciating some of the things sure. that, you know, I've done. And like, I think we all kind of struggle with this comparison thing of other, of what other people are doing that we have a lot of respect for in any 
sports or music or programming or content or whatever, and then uh, sometimes fail to appreciate the things that we're also capable of doing. So that's one of the things that I've tried to change a little bit too with myself personally, is just the, uh, the mindset and the way I talk about myself and the areas that I perceive myself to struggle in and kind of sure. look at them more as opportunities just to get better than to say I'm incapable of doing it. Yeah, I've been trying to kind of transition the problem or obstacle and turn that into opportunity, like mm-hmm. more positive mindset, I guess you could say optimistic mindset. It's hard though. Like I will say that <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, quite, yeah. it's quite challenging. Um, yeah. Another thing that you said a bit ago that I thought is, at least for me, really resonating is that I started my path to being a developer with like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, right? Like I think a lot of people probably have. And I think the thing that was, that captivated me the most about it was like how reactive the feedback loop is, right? Like you put some elements on a page, you style them and you do things and then they immediately respond back with whether or not you're doing it right or not. And I think that especially now with the the need to being so web oriented with how we build stuff, web and mobile oriented to be fair, um, we open up this opportunity to have like far more like reactive experiences with the code we write. Like, and I don't know if you had the same experience, like if you talk to kind of the old school developers, like, you know, if you went to university or college, like I went to the lab and I had my sack of punch cards and then I came (laughs) back the next day and I found out my program built, like I have tons of empathy for folks that learned how to write code in that environment because like, I think being a developer with immediate feedback is hard. Imagine a developer with like hour long, like delayed feedback i guess you could say yeah it's it's really wild hearing some of those stories like even more modern stories is people would run a build of an app like with code like not physical punch cards like 10 or 15 years ago um some of the unit tests that i worked on as an intern at fedex i think originally before i worked on them took an hour and then ran in 10 minutes after that and so it was one of those things where like while i was testing that stuff yeah i would kick off a round of tests and then go to lunch and come back and see what happened. And it's so, it's so like defeating, maybe is the word it's so defeating to have that come back and then be like, Oh, it's something simple. Now I have to make this change and wait another hour. So it's, it's really impossible to, to iterate that on that very quickly. But now as developers, I mean, we're like spoiled is not the right word because it's exactly where we should be, but everything has that, um, that feedback loop. Like even if you're just using, Vanilla HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. One of my favorite extensions in VS Code is the live server extension. As soon as I save, yeah. uh, as soon as I make a change and save it, I can see it in the browser. And if you look at frameworks, Svelte and Angular and Vue and uh, React and Next and all these things, like they have automatic uh, page refreshes on changes built yeah. in. And Vite has taken that to the next step in ES Build and stuff behind that uh, behind the scenes. But like that feedback loop getting shorter and shorter just enables us to do more and more, to iterate more and more. I mean, yeah. I remember if something would take 10 seconds to build, I'm like going to Twitter immediately because I, like, I can't yeah. just sit here for 10 seconds, which is probably sad, but that was the reality for me. Yeah, well, I had a job I, you know, it was when I was fairly young. YouTube had just came out, and I remember like, you know, builds took a long time. Running unit tests took a long time. And there was a guy that I worked with who was always on YouTube. Like whenever I walked by his desk, he had like YouTube open. And I just asked him, I'm like, so like, like, not, not to try to put you on blast or anything, but like, why are you on YouTube all the time? He's like, I'm literally like, I make some changes, I hit build and I have to wait six That's minutes. Yeah. So I got enough time to watch a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I mean, 
obviously the company probably wasn't super excited if they knew it, <laughs> if, if, if they cared. Because I think in general, you talk about developer productivity, right? And like you mentioned, just a handful of tools and technologies to like the sole goal is to increase developer productivity. Because if a developer is always interacting with the work they're trying to do, they don't have, they're being the most efficient. And tools definitely help that. Tools also hurt it though. Like the idea of just being it like, oh, if I, there's, it, JavaScript in general, in my opinion, has like this hack culture, right? Where it's like, let me just see if this works. Oh, and then, because you get immediate feedback, like, okay, that doesn't work. Let me see if this works. So like there isn't a lot, I don't want, this probably isn't fair. <laughs> there's not a lot of thought put into like some of the effort because the feedback is immediate and you can, you know, adjust accordingly. You know, what's been your experience with that sort of mindset with JavaScript, right? Because for the most part, you've been a web developer, so touching a lot of different JavaScript um, technologies. Like, is that enabling? Is that disabling? Like, I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I've had similar thoughts, but not exactly the same. So it's kind of cool to be able to tie these together. But um, one, I don't think it's, I don't think it's specifically JavaScript because almost almost any tool now, you'll have some sort of live reloading thing. Some are faster than others. Yeah. Some work better than others. Like even um, even Java Spring Boot, which is what I worked on a lot in uh, at FedEx uh, for backend microservice applications. Um, there was I don't remember the plugin, but there was a plugin that you could add to your um, to your project to do the same kind of thing. So that that sort of stuff definitely exists. Um, but from a teaching perspective one of the things that I call out for students and stop them immediately is this idea of exactly what you just said. Uh, okay, it's not working. Let me take the first random guess I could do and try to apply that sure. and see what happens. And um, my wife is actually going through some programming stuff now. And it's, it's kind of an interesting balance for me of like being that like super practical teacher and also being a husband. But like immediately it's like, she's trying to solve a problem and it doesn't work. And then she does this one thing and I'm like, before you do that, like, let's talk about yeah. what it is that you're trying to solve, why you're looking, where you're looking and, and try to address the problem versus just seeing what of the things that you've seen before will apply. And I think that's super important for people's learning experiences, because if you get in that habit of just throwing stuff in, most likely what happens is you like, you probably struggle to get it to work, but if you do, then you move on and don't actually know why it worked or what you did yes. or what the concept was behind the scenes. So um, I think like definitely the feedback loop in JavaScript ecosystem is super, super good. I think it's probably a problem, um, in other languages and frameworks as well, but yeah, I think it's super important to think about what problem you're trying to solve, why you're looking, where you're looking, where you think the problem is and why you think the thing you're going to change is going to be the solution and not just, you know, do the first thing that comes to mind and then run with it when it works, if it works. Sure. Well, I think, too, one thing that's very interesting is that you have, like, this cost-benefit analysis that you, like, have to go through. It's like, okay, this works, but it probably doesn't work as well as it could, or it might have, you know, some weird edge cases that I haven't thought about. And you have to do that calculus in your head of determining, like, is it worth trying to investigate this or just move on to the next story, right? You know, as developers, everybody cares about how much work that we've gotten done over the course of the day. And if you spend, you know, four or five or six hours or days, like trying to figure out why one little thing doesn't work, you know, that could lead to unwanted experiences, right? I have been, like, I had a, a colleague right when I was out of college, 
he's written books for O'Reilly, and he was a very, very good developer. Let's just say that. And I remember him looking at one line of code for three days, trying to figure out why it wasn't working. And like, this isn't something that he could just like Google to figure out the answer to, right? Like, this is something that's just not working the way he wants. And I remember whenever, when he finished it, he literally just left. He took the rest of the day off. <laughs> He's like, I'm done. Like, I have, yeah. there's, no, there's no more producti- productive that I can be today because that is the most productive thing that I, I'm going to be all week is getting this one thing to work the way I want it to. Um, and, you know, to your, as somebody who, you know, kind of is teaching or instructing or helping that next generation of developers or people getting started, like, how do you kind of weigh that when you tell them, like, it's good, there's, there's going to be a lot of pain in this job, but the benefits far outweigh the pain. At least for me, that's the reason why I'm still around. <laughs> yeah. I think there's, there's like the law of diminishing returns when you're early, yeah. um, right? Like this, I'm assuming this developer has a lot of experience that is good developer um there's to continue to build on your knowledge takes times like that where it's like more time and deeper time invested in what you're looking at to take your knowledge to the next level when you're early on in your learning i think i think it's your responsibility as an individual to do your due diligence for each one of those things that you come across like general advices don't write a line of code that you don't understand and that gets very overwhelming because now like for any line of code, you're like, okay, what does this mean? What is that piece? What is this syntax? So it can be a lot of stuff. And so I think there's law of dimin- diminishing returns where if you're stuck on something, you're trying to figure out how to solve a problem, give yourself a cap of 15, 20, 30 minutes, yeah. right? Like make sure you're investing your time to feel what it's like to do research, to try to come up with an answer and to struggle, to be quite honest. Yep. Uh, but, and this is in like a boot camp scenario, or at least where you have a mentor, like after that 15, 20, 30 minutes, walk away and or ask for help. Like, I think that's one of the things yes. that has to be really encouraged. Um, and not just in a boot camp scenario, but for people that are walking into development roles at companies, a lot of companies don't have great support systems in place to handle that sort of conversation. Most people, a lot of people aren't like inclined to be teachers. A lot of, yeah. um, you know, senior developers and above, they want to do their job and they're not necessarily thinking about how to help the next generation of developers, but it's something that's super important. And I think that should be um, a pretty strong characteristic of a senior and above title as being able to increase your sphere of influence to help other people become better developers too. So um, short answer is all of those things, like the individual has to put time in, like you have to put your effort in first, but there's law of diminishing returns where after 15, 20, 30 minutes, you, you just don't know enough maybe at this time to figure that thing out yourself, go and get some help in that like usually those things are things that I can go and point you in the right direction in 30 seconds or something. And now you can yeah. continue to build on top of that for the rest of the stuff that you have to work on. Yeah. And I get asked this occasionally too. It's like, Oh, how do I start out being a developer? And my immediate response always is like, what is your ability to problem solve? <laughs> right. Cause at the end of the day, like that's all we really do. Like we solve problems with a particular set of tools and our number one ability is our ability to quickly rationalize what the problem is and find the solution if we don't know it ourselves. And everything outside of that is just like extra fl- extra like toppings on the, the Sunday, right? Um, you know, if you're really, really skilled in a particular technology, that helps. But at the end of the day, more than likely, if it's a somewhat trivial problem, I can have no, I guess, insight into it. But if you say, hey, we're... No, this particular frame doesn't look the way it's supposed to look. 
I could figure out fairly quickly how to make it look sim more similar to what they're looking for, right? And it's not just because I'm the world's greatest developer. It's because I have built this, this I guess, framework of being able to solve problems. And when you tell people that, it kind of, I guess, demystifies like the developer experience, which I think is really important. I'd like to kind of get your thoughts is like, because you talk with a lot of people that are getting started, is is the general problem that we have in tech is that it seems like it's like this mysterious, like, you know, to quote Harry Potter, like the wizarding arts, right? Like people are working on the dark arts and like we need to teach people how to do other things instead of the dark arts. I think, I think there's definitely the perspective that to be a programmer or developer, you have to be really, really quote unquote smart and smart. Never sure. Never means what people think it means. Like most of, most of what you just talked about too, is like people, people come to you and you can spot their problem really quickly. Like some of it is, you know how to diagnose problems, which is a big part of it. A good portion of those scenarios is like, Oh yeah, it's this because you've seen that thing a million times. Yep. Right. Like doesn't mean you're not a good developer. It means that like that specific instance comes from, just experience. I mean, it's like anything yeah. else. I am getting really into woodworking and I'm really enjoying it. I built a couple of different things and there's so many parallels between me learning how to build stuff um, and people learning to be web developers, right? Like sure. it's so frustrating when I try to build stuff or cut something and it's not straight or it's not the right length or like all these different things. And I have to just go through the practice. Like someone, someone who has a lot more experience may not be an amazing woodworker, but just having experience means they could come in and immediately see what I did wrong, how to build sure. this thing in a better way to make it sturdier or whatever. And that's just an experience thing. So I think first of all is like demystifying the idea of like, you have to be super smart. And again, that like, I don't like using it because it, it usually doesn't mean someone is necessarily naturally gifted the way that people refer to it. Yeah. And the other aspect of that is like, you don't, you don't have to naturally be like the super, super logical person that I am. Right. Like I talk about, I wish I had some more of that creativity at times to go into the stuff that I, the code that I write and the stuff that I build and maybe some of the visual aspect of it as well. So I think like the opportunity is there for anyone and everyone of every background um, but it is, it is a tough transition to go through for people who like, aren't going through a boot camp or a computer science degree. Like it's a tough thing to do. There's a million different resources. There's a million different people that have conversations like this and talk about it and, uh, give advice and that sort of stuff. But it is a, a tough challenge to go through and you have to be pretty dedicated. I think you have to go in with like a decision of like, I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to do whatever I need to, to get there. And that's going to be a lot of work and a lot of questions and a lot of feeling like you don't know what you're doing, but just accepting that and moving on and just trying to get better every day. I think smart is just depends on who's asking and who's answering, right? Like smart doesn't really mean anything, like to be completely honest. Because um, you could say some person is smart in one particular area, but maybe not as smart in something else, right? And they could be mm -hmm. tangentially related things. Um, at, at the end of the day too, for it, Anyway, I wanted to make a, a comment about woodworking, right? As somebody who thinks woodworking is like one of those um, stereotypical cliche like things that men do and that I can't do, I'm always very envious of people that can do uh, woodworking. And um, my wife and I went to a dinner party of sorts with some friends uh, last weekend, and there was two of my friends that are woodworkers, right? 
And they're like in the garage, like, look, I think he's making a, a canoe paddle or something. And he's talking about polyurethane and all this stuff. And, and I'm just like, mm, yep, mm, yep. Just sitting there nodding, just like a complete dunce. And they're like talking about, you know, the wood grain and all these other things. I have no idea. And I'm just, I'm like, oh, man, I just failed as a man today. Can we like talk about like, I don't know. Can we talk about Vue.js for a little bit so I could feel more manly for a small amount of time? Um, so I, but like that or like working on cars or like a lot of people that are into kind of like IOT stuff with small electronics. Like I see all those things and I'm like, man, I should probably pick up a hobby that's like equates immediately to being a man. Um, cause I, I kind of lack those hobbies, I think at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, there's one thing that you said too, that I thought was really interesting about how like there's parallels between almost everything that we do that involves solving problems and the work that we're doing. And this transcends technology, right? Like if you're in the business of like trying to fix something, whether it's a car, whether it's a boat, whether it's a building, like it all equates back to I'm, I need to be able to resolve this solution because somebody's paying me to do it. And I think that's one of the real important things about demystifying tech is like, look, these are like hammer is equivalent to angular or screwdriver is equivalent to react or what have you. Right. Like obviously those analogies don't mean anything. Don't look into them. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's really, really important to call out. It's like if you in generally enjoy working with technology, there's a place for you in tech because there's an abundance of jobs that can't be staffed because there's not enough talented people that want to stay in the industry. Right. Um, and like to kind of get your thoughts on, on that. Like how do we, bring more and more people into tech um, in meaningful ways to get them really excited and stay around? Yeah. I know it's a really loaded question, but. <laughs> I, I think it's all about exposure. And I think about like from a diversity perspective and like some of it would be diversity. Some of it would just be like whatever you're around that's not necessarily tied to diversity. But if, if, you never, if you've never seen a programmer, if you've never met a programmer, if you've never seen someone who works on websites or who builds games or whatever, like you, you might be really interested in playing video games growing up. You may never think of it as an option for you to be a person that actually builds that game. Cause you've never seen anyone around you do that. You've never heard of anyone around you, no one from your neighborhood or your race or your sex or anything. Like if you've never seen that, you will struggle, I think to envision that it's a possibility. So I think the, the first thing is exposure. And I think there's lots of, really good organizations for all those different levels of diversities that are trying to get more exposure to people of different demographics to let them know yeah. that, that, that it is a possibility. Um, that's, and I guess, again, for me, like I just luckily stumbled into it. So there's some of that yeah. too, but also friends of mine were taking AP computer science in high school, right? Like that was a class that I wanted to take because of them. Um, yeah. and that was just based on the people I was around and so much of what, I have done and what I've learned is just from being around people that were doing things that I had never dreamt of or thought of sure. or looked at as possibilities. So I think the exposure part is key. I think, um, you know, people are really outspoken about how we talk about tech and making sure that we're not talking about it in a, in a gatekeeping way. And that mm -hmm. we talk about, we've already talked about it here. Like you don't have to be super smart. You don't have to be a mathematician. Everyone can do it. There's plenty of job opportunities. Um, so I think the more we continue to shape that narrative of saying like, 
there is an abundance of jobs. There's an abundance of really high paying jobs. There's an abundance of really high paying jobs that also have really good benefits and work-life balance yep. and all these things. Um, and do that in, in an inclusive way. I think that's the difference to just get more and more exposure. And then the more people, you know, that are, I don't know how, I think we're probably similar ages. It looks, it sounds like, but, sure. yeah. um, but people that are our age that then go on to be parents and have children and now their children see them and their job is to write code or I've got nephews and they know that I write code for a living. Like now they're more exposed to seeing that as a possibility um, of something they could do in their career. So um, I think it's, it's more exposure. It's uh, adding and incorporating the diversity into that exposure and then doing it in an inclusive way to say anyone and everyone can be a part of this thing. Yeah. And I, uh, I saw a Twitter thread the other day and it, and it, it made me think about, like where, like where the struggles really are. And obviously I'm not the right person to be talking about struggles, but I, I voice my opinion anyway, right? I think in general, we need more people that um, from underrepresented groups to not just be developers, but to be founders and venture capitalists and executives. And, and that's how you continue to build this pipeline of just really great talent is that People need access, people need evangelism, people need collaboration. And these are all the things that are really, really important to build strong communities. And in general, like tech can be a very, very strong community. And, you know, you mentioned a couple of reasons as to why it's beneficial to be in tech. Like the pay isn't bad. The benefits typically aren't bad. Um, so you have the opportunity to kind of, I guess, climb up that, that social chain if that's what your interest is, right? Yeah, I just um, just think about a way of living, right? And the thing that I am most adamant about in my life and my career is work-life balance. Like I, I have a limited yeah. vacation and I have had that at my previous job as well. And that's so huge for me because I never want to like look at my nephew is graduating from high school or college or a cousin is getting married or so something is happening. And I have to debate about doing that thing because I'm like out of vacation. Now I understand sure. I'm in a privileged position where I am and where I have been to have unlimited vacation. It's not everywhere, but it's much more common in tech. But that's the kind of thing like I just I don't I don't want to miss out on that because of a job. And I feel like I shouldn't, right? Like I'm a professional. I sure. do I do my job. I do it well, and then I also enjoy my life. So I think like taking advantage of tech for that aspect of the lifestyle then means more time with partners and spouses and kids and family and that sort of stuff, which is something that, you know, like the stereotypical previous generation is like the man would go to work all day and come yeah. home and eat dinner and go to bed. And that was it. Right. Um, so I think lifestyle, um, that is enabled by a job is, um, as a big part of what I'm passionate about and what I look for in the jobs that I consider. Yeah. I mean, that's really spot on. And even to, you know, to add one additional wrinkle onto it, right? Like you, like you mentioned unlimited vacation, which is a benefit for a lot of tech companies, right? Like you have privileged the fact that you, you get to ex exert that the way you want to. Like there are a lot of tech companies that advertise like unlimited time off. And if you take more than two weeks off a year, it negatively affects you, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it's one of those things where I think we need to be hyper aware of like work-life balance in general. I think, you know, your analogy or your, your anecdote about, you know, the, 
the atomic household where the husband literally took the train to work. He was gone for like 15 hours. He'd come home. He'd get dinner out of the oven that was on a plate. You know, I'm, th- I'm literally like doing like a madman sketch. And then he would go to bed, right? Now, especially in the last two years with the fact that everybody works home from works from home or most people in tech work from home now, like you get to see like your kids out of the side of your eye or your family out of the side of your eye all the time. And that's really empowering because it allows you to really understand like what the day outside of work looks like. Um, and, you know, I think Lisa can only speak for me. Like once I saw that, I started working from home years ago. But once I first saw that, I was like, oh man, like going back into an office consistently, <laughs> there's opportunities that are being missed there. Um, and that's not to say that people can, can't be productive at, uh, in offices. I just, honestly, I enjoy seeing my family a bit more probably than a lot of other people do, which is fair too. Um, but I think one of the things that I'd love to get your thoughts on is I have a feeling that you've worked from home a good amount of, of time in your career. Um, I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on like, you know, working from home versus coveting from home, like that idea of like being forced to work from home versus choosing to do it. Um, and obviously you probably have anecdotes with working with people that they, they have different, I guess, opinions of that. Like what in general has been your takeaway from the influx of people working from home more? Like obviously technology has gotten better and things like that, but I'd like to kind of get your thoughts. I think it's really cool to see how many companies that never would have thought it was a possibility now are thinking it's a possibility. FedEx being one of them. So I worked for FedEx for three years. Um, You know, the most working from home that I heard of one person worked remotely because his wife got a job in Atlanta and they moved to Atlanta and he worked remotely and came to Memphis once a month or so. And that was a very, very special case. Like it was, that was the only person I heard of that did that. And then like we had the flexibility if we, if we had someone come into repair something or whatever, you could work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not very often. Um, it didn't happen very often. Uh, once a week probably wasn't that much once or twice a month, maybe, uh, you know, if you needed to. So the flexibility was there, but it wasn't, it wasn't a common thing. Um, and now, you know, during COVID FedEx, everybody went home and all of a sudden they're working from home every day for people in a much older generation culturally. Um, sure. And still have been, you know, successful with doing that. And I think it's been eye-opening for companies like that that have never considered that an option to now consider that an option. And I think there's mixed results. I was talking to a friend of mine at FedEx uh, last night, actually. Um, and he was saying, you know, there's people that they miss being at the office. That's like, yeah. that, that's part of their highlight. Like, that's what they're used to. That's what they really enjoyed. And there definitely is an aspect for me of like, my perfect scenario is I work in the same city as where headquarters is. Mm-hmm. And I go to the office once a week or so. Like, I love the idea of that. And I'm in Memphis and I work remotely for companies completely. And I don't get that opportunity at all, which means I haven't met most of the people on either of my teams at Osiris or PlanetScale in person yet. Um, But I I was at FedEx going to the office every day and it was fine. I like, it was okay. And I enjoy definitely from a learning experience, being around developers and immediately being able to ask, what is this? How does this work? All those things. I think that exponentially increased learning opportunities for me but at this point i just i wouldn't trade it i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't go back to an office on a consistent basis unless i absolutely have to Uh, my wife actually has started working for osteo so now she's in tech doing uh events and sponsorships and she's in the office across the hall a lot of times she'll sit at that desk so we work in the same same office we talk about the same kind of stuff because i speak at conferences and we sponsor conferences so we talk about a lot of that stuff together um 
and that's just something I, I wouldn't trade. Like we love having all that time to, to be together, to take walks during the day, to go and walk the dog, to get out and like yeah. go get lunch. Um, yeah, it's a special thing. So I think biggest takeaway is just like companies are, are more open to it uh, in a way that they yeah. never have been just because they've had to, and they've seen that it's worked relatively well. And so I think that just means more opportunity, more flexibility for people going forward. Yeah. I mean, that's really spot on. I think also too, like the, the, advantage that technology has created because i remember even like five or six years ago like vpn was not an enjoyable experience for most people right and now you have all these SaaS solutions where it's like oh you need email in the cloud cool or or you need um document storage in the cloud like you don't need to be like inside of a network and have to be connected into everything right and also like you mentioned like pair programming right like now there are tools that are really, really good for pair programming, right? And I think as, you know, as the tools continue to develop, it only just enables people more to have options. Sure, there's this culture, but I think the culture, cultural aspect has probably been negated by a lot of what the last two years has been. It's really, really hard for a Fortune 500, even any company, not a Fortune 500 company, say like, oh, we don't work really effectively from home because most companies are doing fairly well financially, Right. Um, not saying every company did, you know, went through COVID very well, but I think for the most part in tech, a lot of them did. Um, and I think that's only really compounded by people liking the additional flexibility and the ability to do things with tools. Um, and I think one of the things I would love to talk about too, as it pertains to like, um, well, some of the things you're doing is like this whole content creation and this brand building that you've done, right? Like, Obviously, working from home has given you more time in the day to be able to build content that you find valuable, which I think is awesome. I'd like to get your thoughts too, you know, as somebody who is navigating all these different mediums to create content, um, and obviously each medium has different strategies, like what has been like the, the, I guess the holy grail for you or like the thing that like works really, really well for you as it pertains to building content? I think the number one thing for me is I just enjoy doing video content specifically. Yeah. Um, I have written a fair amount of blog posts, um, but it's not near as easy to be quite honest. And it yeah. takes me a lot more yeah. time to do a blog post than it does a video, which is counterintuitive for a lot of people. A lot of people get really intimidated by being on camera and they'd much yep. rather write and not be on camera. Uh, but for me, it's significantly easier to do, uh, to do video. So, my priority for the last several years has been YouTube. Like it, it's great if I, in theory, I would do a blog post associated with every video that I do, but I just don't have the time. Um, sure. But I would do that for the extra exposure, right? Like cross promoting on different platforms and that sort of stuff. And talked about this, like different people learn different ways. So some people yep. like the video stuff, some people like written, but the number one priority I've had is, uh, is YouTube. And a cool one recently is TikTok, which I've gotten more yeah. into, which has been a ton of fun. And it's been a platform for me to get away from the instructional stuff and and be more like developer satire and, and yeah. humor stuff, which is a lot of fun. And it's funny because I'll do, I'll post the same, like I'll cross post one of the TikToks to YouTube shorts or something that's like funny. And people are like, why are you doing that? And because they're just like, they're not used to that from me on that platform. Yeah. So it's interesting to see the difference in expectations on platforms. Um, yeah, I do video content weekly uh we're now doing uh the compressed fm podcast my co-host amy and i this is um this has been a big one for us um i had 
always kind of wanted to do or like the idea of a podcast, but just didn't have time. So by partnering up, uh, we've been doing the podcast now for almost a year, which is pretty, pretty amazing. So that's been another medium that I've enjoyed just getting to talk to her. And we're starting to bring on guests now for a second episode a week. Um, so that's a lot of fun for me to just learn from other people. I mean, similar to what yeah. you're doing here, have people on to show you cool products or talk about stuff they built. Um, so yeah, so uh, mainly YouTube, um, TikTok, and the the podcast is where I spend yeah. a lot of my time in terms of content. I honestly feel like, and this isn't a knock on people who write blogs, because I think some people are really, really good. My always, my fear always has been with writing blogs is that the second I hit submit on the blog, that turns into an artifact that's probably going to get outdated within the next like week. And I have a I have a much harder time going back, just remembering going back and updating blog posts or marking that they might be outdated. With videos, at least this is my opinion, like if I do a demo video and throw it out there, people can look and see the date and be like, oh, that might not be accurate anymore because it's three years old, right? Um, not saying that I ha people have the same insight that I do is to look at the date of videos, but I think in general, like videos and streaming and even podcasts to an extent have um, the life, I guess the life cycle expectation is smaller. With a blog post, for some reason, like people will see a blog post from like six years ago and think it's still accurate. <laughs> and I don't understand why that's the case, but I'm very guilty of it too. Like I'll go to a blog post and I'll be like, oh, this blog post is like four years old and it's like using some JavaScript technology. Like it can't be, up it can't be valuable at all. But also read it anyway with hopes that maybe I'll see like a, a, a section of code or like a couple sentences that make sense to me. Um, and I don't think that video has that problem because I think video for the most part, there's an expectation that you did it live, you did it right there, and it's probably going to be deprecated. or And you'll probably create another video in the next two months on the same topic more than likely. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting perspective because I, like, I was going to, uh, reiterate what tech gadget said in the chat that um, he looks at the published date for blogs as well and i do also yeah. and that's definitely a factor but i do also agree there's some sort of perspective around written content that seems like it's gonna hold true longer and Always i don't be accurate yeah i don't i don't know why that would be as well uh, either uh, but i do look at the dates for those so that that would definitely be an influence um, one of the things to consider with video especially on youtube is you don't have the ability to go back and make like a minor change like you can't go yep. in and edit 30 seconds to change it to something else. Like even if it's just the package version with a blog post, you can go in and add a little note, make sure you have package X, Y, Z and above uh, version number and above, uh, but you can't do that with a video. So it's actually, if you're like changing stuff within the content, it's impossible to do with a YouTube video, whereas you do have the option for blog posts. But another aspect of that is like, I have gone back and, updated almost no of none of my content um and it like sure like i'm not i'm not a company brand right like if people find things that are outdated look at the date and i, I think that yeah. is relatively self-explanatory but i think as a content creator you can't do everything right like in in theory all of my stuff would be updated all the time and it would yeah. be you know every year would be the new version of this and that uh but it's just not really feasible so i just i try not to worry too much about the stuff that gets like really unwieldy pretty quickly if you're trying to constantly update everything you do. I think, you know, at least in my opinion, update isn't the right approach, like new content. Mm -hmm. Because if you are 
like let's say for instance using your example of like oh maybe this version like there's a version change that you need to address right it's much more beneficial for your audience and even for yourself to just build a new piece of content that's centered around that version other than trying to make an update to an existing content which had a different theme maybe a different voice like you're far you're probably going to be far more successful and authentic just creating some content that's net new that's around that particular topic even if it's just a minor version increase of some software mm -hmm. there's probably more in that minor version that's mat that matters than the update that you potentially make to some older video that's my opinion um but i think in general like with videos and maybe it's just maybe you and i are in the same boat like i much rather would get on camera for an hour than write a blog post for an hour like mm -hmm. maybe that's just me i can't really explain it <laughs> yeah it's just it's just easier for me to communicate speaking like on video than it is to communicate in a blog post like i just i get so frustrated when i can't can't find the written words to get across what i really want to yeah and i can i can change that so easily and i can do a retake so easily with video and i like someone comments on something earlier about scripting i've never scripted like almost like one percent of the content that I do is scripted on YouTube videos. Like almost always, it's like I know I need to cover these things, and I go in and do those. And I think for me, it helps keep it natural, right? Like natural to my voice and uh, interactions I have with code and debugging and problems and things that I solve. Um, so yeah, it's just just easier for me. It's harder for me to find the words when I'm writing and to feel like I sound good when I do it. Sure. Plus, I feel like you're able, and maybe this is, again, an issue that I have with writing. I'm not saying that I don't enjoy writing. It's just I enjoy very much this medium more. I feel like you can be a bit more authentic in this. Like, especially like if you're doing things like demoing something, like maybe you have an instructional video on how to do something. If you make a mistake, you make a mistake and you move on, right? Like, if you were to, like, on a in a blog post, like, show a screenshot of, like, some code that you wrote that doesn't work and they're like oh that wasn't like you, like the, the it doesn't transcend in the written word right the written word is expected to be kind of like picture perfect um or at least picture perfect based on somebody's opinion um i do think one thing that's interesting especially about your content uh that i've been such a fan of is that it's it there's always kind of like an assumption building to it like you just like you never just go off into like the particular piece of content immediately like you always do intros you always do like you, you level set and you build kind of the foundation what's needed is that kind of akin back to you know your your instructional kind of background and your interest in kind of helping the next step is like because I know a lot of people just go in there and it's like, oh, this is how I do this in React. And like, there's no real setup. But your content doesn't really do that. Is that by, is that purposeful? Or is that just kind of how you structure building content anyway? It's definitely purposeful. I feel like I don't do as good a job sometimes as I would like to. Um, and part of that is because I don't spend a ton of time on individual videos for yeah. uh, for YouTube, especially like it it's so difficult to maintain consistency. And that's where a lot of people fall short is they create a video, it takes them a long time and they want it to be perfect. And then they struggle to create the next one because they spent so much time and energy making the first one perfect yeah. or the third one or like whatever. Um, so that's one of the things I, I am not the most prepared for videos. I don't have the most polished videos. I don't have, I don't script. I don't have the best editing. Um, and sometimes that leads to, I don't have the best, um, from my perspective, the best um, 
intro and setting expectations, but that's that specifically is something that I do focus on. So at some point I feel like yeah. I can do better, but I definitely definitely want to make sure that people have context when they're watching the video of what they're getting into. Cause then like if you set unrealistic expectations or if you don't set expectations, you're gonna have more and more people not enjoy your video and run away and not come back. So you want that experience yeah. for people. Like if it's if it's super beginner, don't let advanced or senior developers like waste their time. You know what I mean? Like set that yep. expectation. Like you may know a lot of this stuff. If so, go ahead and do something else. Like don't don't be yep. upset that you wasted your time watching the super super sure. beginner video or vice versa. If you're a beginner, um, don't you may not be ready for this level of depth in this content. Um, and I think a lot of that is influenced one by just having created so much content and seeing comments and feedback and stuff on videos over the course of you know ten years. The other aspect of that is teaching in-person bootcamp and virtual bootcamp yeah. and knowing that every everything that you share or teach cover um, has to have context for people to get them in the right mindset for what you're about to do. Sure. So yeah, it's definitely definitely something that um, is part of the process for me um, in creating video content. Plus, I think it's probably helpful for you too. Like you mentioned that you don't like write scripts or you don't like, I mean, I imagine when you build a piece of content, you have a general outline of what you're going to talk about, but like, it's probably very impactful for you to like, okay, I'm going to talk about this and here's why, and here's why I think it's important. Right. Otherwise you might run into a problem with like, okay, in the middle of you recording a video, it's like, oh, why am I doing this again? Like, mm -hmm. is there a particular reason for me, me to need, like, is there some cool technology that's coming out or whatever? Right. Like, cause I think. At the end of the day, developers, in my opinion, feed off of energy. Like, and I think that if your content, see, like if the content that you're building, you seem like you're actually enjoying building the content, people will continually come back. I haven't seen very many um, content creators who have been successful being very monotone and boring. Um, not to say that they're not out there, I just haven't found them. And if I did find them, I probably wouldn't enjoy them as much. Um, <laughs> because I generally want to feel like I'm part of the conversation when I'm consuming content. Um, and I think that's one of the things that you do a really good job at too. Also like the fact that you are, in my opinion, you're very um, communicative with your audience, right? Like commenting in YouTube videos, replying on YouTube videos, talking on Twitter with folks, all in all the different permutations of that. Is that just because you want to make sure that you provide, like you treat the content creation that you do as a service and you want to make sure the customer service is as impactful as possible? I think that's part of it. Um, I think part of it's just enjoying people. Sure. Um, and so that, like I've heard in several different conversations, a more modern definition of introvert versus extrovert, introverted people gain energy from alone time extroverted extroverted people gain energy from other people from being around other people and i think i have got a little bit of both like there's times where yeah. i don't want to be around people but i think i'm much more of an extroverted person in general and so i think i gain i gain from those interactions um not just not just hey great video like just interactions with people i've always loved yeah to you know hear what other people are working on see the things that they're doing get inspired by them learn something new from people regardless of how much experience they have like they all everybody's got something that they do that's different or kind of unique that you can learn from um so i think a lot of it probably the majority of it just comes from enjoying those interactions the other part yeah. of it is i don't i don't want to just be an instructor or like i want to be a person yeah. to people and 
I think that comes from sending people responses where you can. And one of the things like, as you build an audience, one of the things I've had to become more comfortable with is I can't respond to everything. And it really sucks sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I get DMS and stuff that I just can't make it to. And I get comments and I can't respond to them all. And I can't answer all the questions and it sucks. But the benefit of that is like, I have the scale now that I get to impact and help that many more people. I'm just now more aware of the people that I can't help, which sucks. Yep. Um, so I, I just enjoy, I enjoy those interactions and I want to be a real person and I want to be a lot more of my personality, which I think is where TikTok comes in. Um, so I've said to myself for a couple of years, like I want to be more of who, who my natural personality is in my YouTube videos. And I still don't feel like I've done a very good job of that. Cause I'm, I'm like in a group of friends. I'm one of the loudest ones. I'm like constantly sure. making jokes and I don't, I don't do that when I'm just telling people to write this yeah. line of code. Right. So TikTok has been kind of a, creative fun outlet for me to show more of my personality um and let people see a different side of me than just here's how you do this thing yeah i mean developer talk is like i mean i can't speak for all developers but it's like the perfect amount of like dopamine drip for like for folks like watching just like meet like developer memes that only developers are aware of like that's just like mm -hmm. It keeps me moving along. Like, it's like, oh, it's not just me who realizes the, this thing. I've almost, I've also gone to the facts. Like, there's so, like, there's a lot of, like, general TikTok memes that exist that I think could, could transcend very well into tech and they haven't done it yet. And I'm like, man, why don't people do that? Like, um, there was a point in time where every, it seemed like everybody on TikTok was, like, falling into the bathroom to like look at the mirror like that's a mm -hmm. i guess that's a, a meme and i was like wouldn't it be funny if like a developer did that and then all of a sudden they started talking about tech like technical concepts on like the mirror like drawing on it and i thought about doing that and i was like no that's like no one's gonna watch that <laughs> but i think in i think in general like and there's probably a huge overlap between like people who watch tiktok and people who are in tech i think there's a pretty good overlap there um and i think in general it's very interesting how some of these like mediums, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, they kind of fit right into the developer wheelhouse of kind of the experience, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Tag Gadget in the chat mentioned Cassidy Williams and her yeah. memes and her videos. She's a huge inspiration for me. Like I yes. she's specifically one of the people I look up to in that type of content of again, just being more than just a developer, right? Like being a personality and being able to um, I don't know, have fun with the stuff that she does and make people laugh. And that's, that's the sort of stuff. Like if, if people were considering buying a course for me or a paid product or something for me, it's, there's a different reaction for someone who has just followed a tutorial versus someone who's engaged in one of my tweets where I talk about running or woodworking or something more personal. Sure. So I think yeah. offering that side to people like if it's just a selfish perspective makes for better customers, which is not why I do it, but people are more inclined to believe in the stuff that you do. If they know more about you as a person, I'm the same way with music, right? Like I don't particularly have an interest in going to a concert for someone's music who I haven't like listened to, to the point of, I can associate part of those lyrics with things in your life. Like, sure. I feel like I know more yeah. about you and why you did this thing because I did some research and I know about it, or I paid attention to the lyrics and I know more about it. Like I'm, I'm going to have so much more fun at that concert than just the concert of like some music I've heard and I know of, but don't like really, really get kind of invested in. Yeah. I mean, there's a, it's all about authenticity, right? Like, you know, using Cassidy as an example, like I think she's one of the most authentic people in tech, at least 
at least her persona online seems to be authentic. It could be a complete charade. Who knows? But I think it, I, I doubt that's the case. But also, like you know, your your um, example in music, right? Like I I think we everybody's been to a musical. If you go to a musical concert, everybody's been to a musical concert where it's like some act who is just ha- just playing music to make money, right? And there's other acts that will be truly authentic and enjoy the experience of performing live for their audience. And I think that's one of those things where, you know, you resonate and build fans the authentic way. It's either that or you're a a band that literally has put out like a million famous songs and people just go to hear those songs and they'll go home. Um, That's definitely a, a, a thought as well. But in general, like, if you go to like a smaller venue with a smaller band performing or smaller artists performing, they're very engaging because they have to build that authenticity relationship with their audience or else people will never, won't come to their shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the things that as we are about to wrap up that I really appreciate is that it seems to me as somebody who doesn't know you very well other than as a content creator and I consume that content, you seem to be very authentic. Um, whether you agree if that's true or not, you kind of mentioned that you're not the same as you are in person as you are on YouTube, but I can definitely tell that you care. And I think that's the most important thing to take out of all this is that like people will continue to come back if they feel like they can connect to you on some level outside of just watching some video. Yeah. Yeah. That's always, that's always my number one thing. If you hear me talk about Deverell, especially it's earning trust and being authentic with the community. And the aspect about me not showing as much of my personality in YouTube videos as I was, I would like, doesn't at all come from a place of like hiding it. Um, I just don't know quite how to factor it in. Right. Cause people are just yeah. looking for mostly like, I want to know how to do the thing and they may not want yeah. all this extra stuff. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, I think it's really important for me to share all the things uh, with people, sure. the struggles that I have, um, the good things, the out extracurricular, like all the things, like I want to be a person um, where people meet me and they're like, oh, like I, I kind of feel like I know this person because I know enough about the things in addition to just he works here and he does YouTube videos. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I, I completely agree with all of that. So we're at the top of the hour and I want to be, you know, mindful of everything. And I want to thank you, James, for coming on and, and chatting with me about tech and all sorts of interesting stuff. Um, one of the last things I like to ask my guests when they're on the show is if, you know, if you can describe the community of technology, open source technology, whatever you want to call it, you know, and you only had one word to describe it, what would that word be for you? Some level of like probably empowering or supportive. And there's, there's lots of instances where we have a lot of work to do in, in both of those areas. But I think overwhelmingly I see a lot of positivity. I hear people getting in, wanting to get into the tech, joining a Slack or being on Twitter, feeling supported. And that that's the kind of stuff going back to like, how do we get more people in tech? How do we get more diversity in tech? It's supporting the people who are at least interested and in helping bring them along with resources, whether it's time or tweets or content or whatever it is. Um, so some, some level of like empowering or supportive is yeah. probably what I would go with. No, I, I totally agree. And there's, like there's so many different ways that we can uh, phrase it, but being able to empower people to be successful, I think is, you know, if you're in this game for making the next generation better, that's how you do it. So I appreciate that. Yeah. So as we wrap up, 
for the folks who are not following James on on Twitter, it's James Q Quick. Um, obviously, well, show notes going forward that uh, his social will be in there. Um, James, do you have any parting words before we say goodbye? Uh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> um, we I don't talked know. for an yeah. hour. That's enough. Right? I know. That's that's all I got. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if people have questions or anything or want to follow up and ask a question. I don't know. Feel free to reach out yeah. to me on Twitter. Feel free to anywhere. reach out. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in and, and listening in and enjoy the rest of your day. Take care.